0: You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled King Comes. Hello my radio friends, it's great that you've joined me today and I'm so glad about the positive feedback about the program. Today I'm going to tell you a story, you won't find this one in the Bible. There was once a king who lived in a beautiful castle on a hillside overlooking a valley. The valley was rich and fertile, and a clear, lazy river ran through the middle of it. The peasants who lived in the valley farmed the soil and grew all they needed. They were well fed, prosperous and happy. They were happy not only with their lives, but they were happy with their good, wise king, who saw to it that they were safe and well provided for. This land may well have been called the kingdom of contentment. One day a traveller came through the valley and said, You people have all you need, but... One thing is missing. You have no grapes to make wine. What are grapes? The people asked. The traveller explained that grapes are like clusters of berries and when the grapes are squeezed they make delicious juice. But even better, he said, When the juice is allowed to ferment it makes a special drink called wine. Then he added, with wine you will become happier than ever. Where can we get those grapes? the people asked. The traveller said he had seen them in a far country away toward the east in the direction of the rising sun. But he was on his way to somewhere else and could not show them the way. So, unbeknown to the king, a search party was formed and four young men were sent in the direction of the sunrise. They were to get some grape plants, so the villagers could add grapes to the abundance of fruit and vegetables they already grew. The four young men, well supplied with plenty of food and water, left on their quest, and were away for several months. At the end of the winter they returned, carrying some bundles of what looked like dry sticks. They told the people that they had been instructed to poke the sticks into moist soil, and that after planting the sticks in the spring, they would develop into leafy plants. So the people planted their sticks in the middle of their gardens and looked after them with extreme care. With the passage of time, The sticks grew leaves and increased in size. The people watched and waited. At the end of the second year, some small bunches of grapes appeared, but were eaten before they were ripe. They were very sour. No, said an old wise man. We must wait until the fruit is ripe. In the third year, the young vines produced a good crop. The people waited for the fruit to ripen and then enjoyed eating it. A few of the people crushed the grapes and drank the juice. It was delicious. The wise man said, Next year you must crush the grapes and allow the juice to ferment. Then we shall have real happiness. And so it was. That year they made their own wine and they loved it. Soon, everybody drank their own wine and they thought they were happy. But before long, trouble came. Some became intoxicated and fights and quarrels broke out. Neighbours who never had disagreements in the past began to hate each other. Under the influence of alcohol, parents neglected their children Young women were raped and had unwanted children. The gardens and farms were neglected. Society broke down and crime, abuse and neglect marked this once happy, thriving community. The king saw what was happening and he was worried and so very, very disappointed. The wine that promised so much happiness ended up bringing complete misery to the people. So the king decided to do something about the calamity that had infiltrated his kingdom. He took off his royal robes and, dressed as a peasant, each day went to the town square marketplace and talked to the people. He reminded them of how happy they'd been in the past and offered to help them Changed their lives. He rolled up his sleeves and helped those who desired their former happiness to grub out the vines and plant different plants where the vines had grown. Sweaty and dirty, the king laboured hard for the sake of his people. But then, in a strange turn of events, one evening, a gang of intoxicated ruffians attacked the king as he was finishing his day's labour. They didn't realise he was their king. They beat him up, badly injuring him. The king's injuries were so bad, he later died. What a tragedy! The one who freely gave his time and effort died at the hands of a group of drunken, unthinking louts, whom, in effect, the king came to help. Now this is the end of this story, but there are some elements from the story that are parallel to events that the Bible describes. Firstly, as told in Genesis chapter 1, when God created the world it was beautiful. The ground produced all kinds of plants and there was food in abundance. The air was clean and the world was a happy, peaceful place. But a stranger entered. That stranger was none other than Satan, whom Revelation 12.9 calls the devil and that ancient serpent. He spun a story to Adam and Eve mankind's first parents that if they would disobey God and instead follow his instruction they would have an even happier existence Adam and Eve fell for his deceptive lies and so evil and sin came into this otherwise utopian world Adam and Eve were cast out of their beautiful garden home and had to toil hard for a living They had two sons, Cain and Abel. Later, in a fit of jealousy, Cain killed his brother Abel. You can read this for yourself in Genesis chapter 4. How devastating this must have been for Adam and Eve that their firstborn son, who should have protected his younger brother, attacked and killed him instead. How many times must Adam and Eve have said to themselves, What have we done? How stupid we were to have believed Satan's lies. Now we have misery where we once had happiness. Just like the people in the story at the beginning of this program. Life changed because they accepted what the stranger told them, thinking that what he said would bring even greater happiness. Instead, it brought discord, trouble and regret. You and I are witnesses to the current mess that's in the world. Crime, selfishness, deceit, abuse, trampling on the rights of others, cheating, murder, dishonesty, theft and so on are very commonplace. It's so commonplace that the news is full of such evil. And, sad to say, most of us have become hardened to it. The world is sick. The world is not getting better, as many of the evolutionists once proclaimed. Instead, it's in a spiral of degradation, socially, morally and environmentally. Environmental scientists despair of the world lasting much longer. Some have set a date of around 2050 as being the time when life will become impossible on planet Earth. They point out that overpopulation, water shortage, food shortage, overcrowding, global warming and pollution being the main factors. Man has turned his thoughts to leaving the earth to inhabit perhaps another planet. But the environment on all the other planets in our solar system is even more hostile than what we have here. We are in desperate straits. What can be done? Can we fix the problem ourselves? Nope. Many have tried, but the problems continued. It's a bit like being caught in deep quicksand. The more someone struggles to get out, the deeper he sinks in. Then, is there any hope? Oh yes, God has provided a way out. Let me explain the situation a little more clearly. The problem is sin. Sin is disobedience. When someone has sinned, they can never unsin. What's done is done. It is not possible for mankind, without outside help, to undo the wrongs that have been done already. The universal law is, as explained in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. No matter what, it is impossible for anyone to undo the results of disobedience on his own. The outcome is death, annihilation, to be removed totally and destroyed. Think of a box of apples or oranges. When an apple or orange becomes rotten, what do you do with it? You throw it out, of course. Left where it was, it'll affect the other fruit, and that would become rotten too. Some people try to make up for the wrong they have done. As good as that might be, it cannot reverse their guilt. We're going to have a little break and go on straight afterwards.
1: Face with Christ, my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold Jesus Christ, who died for me. Face. Face, I shall behold Him far beyond the starry sky. Face to face in all His glory, I shall see Him by. I see him with a darkling veil between, Oh a blessed day is coming when his glory shall be seen. Face to face I shall behold.
0: The only way out of the sin problem is to have outside help. Even before the world was created, even before people walked on the earth, God anticipated that things could go wrong. God's plan was to redeem mankind from its evil master, Satan. But what would be the price to pay? It would be the life of God himself. God the Word, that is. God would have to come to this world, live the life of an ordinary human being, and have to give his own sinless life to buy us back. It's a pretty big cost, eh? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18-20 to 20 explains it very well. It says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, money, that you were redeemed from that empty, sinful way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood, the life of Christ, a lamb without any blemish of sin or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these times for your sake. Like me, you've probably heard of a parent who in a life-threatening situation gave his or her life in order to save the child. To do the same to, to save the life of a stranger would be another matter. But then, to save the life of someone who is a criminal is an even greater matter than the last. What motivates someone to give his life to save the life of someone else? Love is the answer extreme, unselfish love. I want to paraphrase John chapter 3, verse 16. This is my paraphrase. In his infinite, limitless love, God bought our freedom by giving himself as God the Son to take our sentence of death on himself. Whoever believes in him and accepts his sacrifice instead of being eternally condemned and punished by death will be given eternal happiness and joy have you ever visited a pawn shop if you're short of money you can take an item of value to a pawn shop and if the pawnbroker is willing he will take possession of your item and give you money in exchange usually, of course, quite a bit less than the value of the item. If you're able to pay back the money by a certain time, you may receive your item back. The word meaning to buy back is redeemed. Of course, if you cannot pay back what you owe, the pawnbroker keeps possession of your item and is at liberty to sell once. What was once yours To any willing buyer God created us In his own image At first we rightfully belonged to him Because we succumbed To the temptations of Satan We sold ourselves to another master The devil Jesus bought us back He paid the price to redeem us so that we could belong to God again. The Apostle Paul explains, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this sinful nature that is taking me to eternal death? Thanks to God, this problem has not been left for me to solve. It has been solved for me by Jesus Christ. And that's from the clear word, Paraphrase Bible, Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25. The king in the story, in order to free his people from their addictions to alcohol, was willing to roll up his sleeves and get dirty because he loved the people and wanted the best for them. And so it is with what God has done for us. Jesus came and lived under the same conditions as we humans experience, he became tired. He was at times hungry, thirsty, and weary. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 speaks about Jesus in his role as high priest. This is what it says For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathise with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are, yet without sin. Our God is not just sat in his ivory tower looking down, lamenting that la- mankind has turned away from doing what is good and right. He hasn't sent a firing squad to eliminate all wrongdoers. What he has done is to come down in person and lived under exactly the same conditions as human beings have. In other words, he rolled up his sleeves and did what we are unable to do in order to save us because he loves us. What a wonderful thing that is. He came to, firstly, pay the price because of our sins in order to redeem us. Secondly, he came to show us how to live. And thirdly, he came to demonstrate the nature of God to mankind. To some of you, it may be difficult to understand why God did what he did in order to redeem mankind. Perhaps it's best to think of the whole issue as a legal transaction. God created man. Mankind, therefore, owed its existence to God. God, if you like, was the master or owner of man. While man continued to obey and honour God, all was okay. But because of Satan's rebellion and jealousy of God, he was kicked out of heaven and, unfortunately for us, ended up on planet Earth when here he set about to establish a counter-kingdom where humans would become his subjects instead of God's subjects. So by lies and deception he tricked humans, starting with the first humans, Adam and Eve, that they should obey him instead of God. The result of disobeying God and obeying Satan was death. Ever since, all the people of the human race have also fallen for his deceptions. And because of that, he, Satan, has been our master. But God did not stand by wringing his hands. He was proactive. First we were his, then we swapped sides and belonged to Satan. So God, the Word, Jesus came to planet Earth and lived as we must. But he did not obey Satan. Therefore Satan had no hold on him. Because Jesus lived without sin, and because he was God, he was qualified to pay the price of death that humans bring upon themselves because of their sin. The only price that could be paid was death. And Jesus gave his sinless life for our sinful lives Therefore If we are willing to accept God, uh, Christ's substitutionary death For what we have would have otherwise had to pay We can have eternal life Which God originally planned For the human race God is no tyrant He is no absent landlord He is Emmanuel God with us. Let me tell you that life with God is much happier than without Him. And even better than that, He wants our company for eternity. Is that any good or what? All you have to do is say yes to God, and eternity can be yours. And that's it for today, my friends. May God bless you as you contemplate these thoughts. And until next time, I wish you much joy and peace.